Yo, I'm Will. Welcome. I call this little experiment anything is everything. This has got to be called something. The intention here is to share interesting, courageous, enlightening, vulnerable, strange, silly conversations to uh, maybe hopefully inspire something in you. All right, cool. Bye. Hey, welcome back to Anything is Everything. I'm your host, Will Tanner, and today I'm joined by Zahara Devi, a pleasure-based leadership coach for women. And do you want to explain a little bit about what that is, what, what kind of stuff you can, what you do assist women through? Yeah, yeah. I, so I help women get unstuck from self-sabotaging patterns like playing small, people-pleasing, not using their voice to voice their desires or what they want in life, and doing that all through using the tantric and somatic-based practices and unearthing their pleasure potential and connecting to their feminine power. Yeah, so ultimately, as well, I, I help women to overcome taboos around their sexuality and maybe taboos around money and in certain areas of their life so that they can experience sexual and financial freedom. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I've really noticed for, for myself that um, a lot of the, the sexual insecurities and those kinds of things are super related to like just my general health, my relationship with money. Yeah. So like what... What is what is that all about? How is like sexuality and money so tied together? Yeah, well, I've come to really recognize that a lot of those core, the things that come up within sexuality and within aspects and thoughts and belief systems around money and survival and security it are all stemming from the same chakra, mm. um, from our root chakra and from our roots. And all of that is connected through our nervous system. So the way that we take care of our nervous system and the awareness that we have around our nervous system can implement more easier and healthier ways to navigate our um, relationships to not only ourselves and our connections, but to our relationships with money and within our sexuality, because it's really coming at it from that core core angle. Yeah. yeah, and the first the first chakra is really related to like survival as well, right? So, mm, yeah. Well, in my understanding, I don't know. I just think it's so interesting that like all of those things are so so tied together, and that like it's so easy to feel unsafe. Yeah. You know, especially when we're younger. And yeah. Is that not where most of our problems come from? You know. Yeah. Yeah. And. For me, I think a large aspect of that is recognizing that we're not really um, developing a sense of having a healthy, holistic relationship to those areas because we're taught to either repress or ignore it or um, to utilize certain means of money and survival and sexuality for certain intentions that aren't necessarily soul-fulfilling, that aren't necessarily opening opening ourselves up to um, safer connections with others, um, and even being able to navigate what safety even feels like in the body. And um, I think a lot of things that block sexual freedom, even like freedom around money and how money impacts your personal life um, and personal freedom is really based around how relaxed you feel mm. um, and can be uh, navigated from uh, getting out of the head and into the body and learning how the nervous system functions mm-hmm. um, so that, yeah, you can actually start building a healthier relationship and with those areas and uncover things that actually can integrate with you into more personal power. Mm. Yeah, that's huge, eh? Yeah. The idea of like relaxation or surrender versus resistance. Mm. So, I mean, tell me about the importance of relaxation when it comes into like, you know, sexual experience. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I, um, Yeah, there's certain aspects of the... Well, there's so many... That's a, that's a really big question. Uh-huh. Uh, there's so many angles to, to navigate that. Um, 
I think on a general basis, you know, we're responding in our nervous systems from either a very autonomic response, which is, you know, heightened states of um, sensation, um, short breath, uh, increased heart rate, um, sort of the hyperactivity that you feel when you start feeling a little bit more anxious in life or in your circumstances or connections. And then there's the parasympathetic, which is coming from more of a deepened breath, um, consciously re- relaxation. Um, it's coming from a state within the, the nervous system where it allows more spaciousness for um, you to feel your body and to come out of the head and out of the thinking and into more of a body awareness and feeling. And that really impacts sexuality hugely because oftentimes when we've grown up in a conditioned society or within family structures or belief belief dynamics that make us feel like it's not safe to connect to our sexuality or um, that it's necessarily something that we should be doing um, and that it's something that you should only be doing in behind closed doors, you know, with a certain person and in a certain con- context. And um, that can create a whole bunch of stories and narratives around how to relate in your sexuality with people in the world and in general in intimacy outside of those constructs and contexts. So um, how that impacts someone can really make them feel like, okay, well, if I'm not supposed to be doing this uh, or if I, you know, sexuality is inherently something that's like hush-hush or like wrong or whatever the story is, um, they might feel a little bit more anxious around navigating that in their life circumstances. So what happens is that when they end up in a sexual context with someone, you know, maybe they're on a first date or, you know, they are dating someone for a while, but, you know, they have a lot of... um, uncertainties or insecurities around what to do or how to navigate because it hasn't been normalized the conversation hasn't been normalized the education around it hasn't been normalized so what happens is they get up in their heads around like am i doing the right thing like mm-hmm. how do i look like is is that person is the, my partner feeling pleasure like what should i do or like how should i you know it's like the thinking brain is just go 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 it's like constantly running on these this trajectory and this accelerator of like what what do like you know thinking overthinking too much and then what that does is it creates a disconnect from actually being in the body and it disconnects someone from their breath it disconnects them from being able to actually connect with their voice because they're so in a hyper aroused state um and that they have a hard time really sinking into the spaciousness around um what the nervous system can feel when it's in a relaxed state, which is more freedom and ease and safety around being able to communicate and being able to actually like feel on a sensational level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so huge. What came up for me was like just remembering really early experiences and thinking like, you know, my the examples of sex that I saw was just like, you know, terrible pornography you know where it's just like there's no love there's just like a lot of action and like a lot of thrusting big heavy thrusting and then you know the other the other exposure mm-hmm. was then like through through like friends or like or older older friends you know and then so you get these you get these examples that are either secondhand or, you know, Hollywood, basically. And then when you get into those situations, it's so different. And you maybe, like, try to act in the way that you saw or uh, or that you were told it should be. But then it just feels bad. And then, like, the spirals are so, are so big around that, right? Mm-hmm. Why do you think... Why do you think it's become so... It's become so taboo. Oh, well, there's one, one thought before, before we get onto that sure, question. Yeah. That there's like a thought that came up to me as, as I was hearing you express was like this idea that, you know, because we're not being taught to 
base our decisions and choice around our sexuality from our own internal referencing point. Mm. It's like we're constantly being referenced to seek outside of ourselves for answers or clarity around how to navigate our sexuality. And of course, the resources around that are so limited. Um, I'm noticing that it's progressing in a more progressive direction or at least a more enhanced direction for building more like clear and safer awareness around how to how to um, learn our sexuality in a way that feels holistic and welcoming and, and safe to navigate. But yeah, I think there's a lot of complication that gets put into place because we're being given a lot of misinformation or a lot of missing pieces around um, how to actually have an enjoyable sexual experience. experience. And a lot of that is coming from a place of not actually doing things for ourselves like we're not basing what our choice around that um, because it feels good for us we're like trying to please our partner or we're trying to do what it's like in the porn videos or we're trying to go off the advice of our family members like our big brothers or sisters or um, what our you know friends around us are saying and it's creating a filter of how we how we navigate those experiences in our own personal life when there could be so much more satisfaction and pleasure being unearthed when we actually just take a moment to like breathe into our nervous system and into our body and ask our body what is it that feels good for me right now like what did what would feel like what do I want what what do I want to feel right now like how do I want to feel that and where do I want to feel that on my body a lot of our focus goes towards our pelvis like all right let's aim for the orgasm the clitoris like we gotta rub it rub it rub it rub it rub it or like we gotta like go for the the high the jackpot the high point of the stimulation which is like you know the peak of arousal and i think there's a whole huge aspect of the journey of pleasure that gets missed out in that mm. like around actually spending more than five ten minutes like in the build-up phase and the foreplay aspect of that like there could be so much orgasmic potential that gets felt and played out through not just going for the destination or the the if there is a destination like to actually taking out destination completely altogether mm. and actually just enjoying what the body's feeling in this moment instead of overriding the body's desires and what it wants i think like we think like oh pleasure is supposed to look like this and feel like this so i must do it this way but really pleasure can be like you just holding each other it could just be you gently touching your skin on like on an area on the body that isn't necessarily deemed as erogenous even though i deem the whole body as erogenous like there's so many aspects of neural pathways in the body that can be felt that can be that, that can in heighten oxytocin and um, chemicals in the brain that can really enhance the feeling of goodness and that's what i really feel like pleasure is it's just like an overall state of goodness and what allows us to feel um yeah, connected to ourselves in a good way. And mm. so that can either look and come out as a sensuality or, um, you know, a heightened aspect of the senses. Or it could look like, you know, diving into, like, ripples and waves of orgasmic pleasure upon orgasmic pleasure upon orgasmic pleasure. Really, you know, there's such a vast degree of what that can look like. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's just what came up for me when I was hearing you, you express your sort of experience with that um, and how it reminded you of back in the day and I think a lot of aspects of how well I mean who knows who I don't know the answer around why sexuality is taboo I think I was raised in a completely non-taboo household Mm. Um, I started experiencing like clitoral orgasms when I was three years old with other girlfriends that would come over we'd play naked doctor she'd tie me up and We'd literally just have tea parties with the intention of like rubbing on each other and just having <laughs> makeout sessions and like we knew what we were doing, but we didn't really fully understand why we were doing it, but we were doing it. And then um, I would ask questions to my mother and she would give me honest answers around my sexuality and there wasn't really any inhibition um, aside from just you know choosing what felt was safe and that was coming from a place of consent as long as that was a big aspect of the dynamic. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I haven't quite fully understood why myself, like why society deems sexuality as such a, a huge taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel, and I often 
<laughs> get reminded of that fact almost every time I go into a taxi um, uh, cab ride. I like I, all of a sudden becomes a therapist session where like they start telling me about their marriages and their problems with their sexual their sex life and you know maybe they got like um, uh, erectile issues that they need help with and they would start talking to me and I'm, I don't even know the person um, and it's just like it baffles me to the idea that there are some people where they will just start opening up the, the, these closed doors to people that they don't even know of because that person created safe mm-hmm. safety in the, in the environment for them to be able to open up and I think there's a level of acceptance and um, openness that I hold in my the way that I carry and live my life that it makes it safe for people to share their their lives around sexuality um, even though I don't know them and I yeah I don't fully know why it's taboo it's been around since you know I don't know like since the beginning of time pretty much mm-hmm. sex work has been one of the first oldest professions and it's still deemed as one, some of the most disgraceful or mm-hmm. um, untasteful forms of prote- um, forms of um, profession even though it's not it's there's so much dissolution around it mm-hmm. yeah it's weird how um, how like Hollywood just hypersexualizes everything mm-hmm. but that's okay you know but then like the full extent of it where it's like an actual like one-to-one situation where there's like therapy being provided and you know an exchange of love and you know, in several senses, then well, it becomes not okay. Well, and what, what, you know what's ultra-triggering is, like, Hollywood and all these different movie productions, they not only, like, they hypersexualize some of the things that happen in, in movie scenes and stuff, but the amount of violence that is accepted in mm. our media narrative compared to our sexuality, it's just mind-blowing how much acceptance is there and... Mm being given space for and there isn't so much around our sexuality and I mean there's I think there's certain levels around movie production where like legally they're not allowed to share more than three minutes of a love making scene or new like a sex oh, scene really? because it would de- be deemed legally as porn pornographic oh, okay. yeah. so they have a legal um commitment I think I don't like I would have to check my resources on that right. but I think they have a legal commitment around keeping it quite Contained, so of course, like the whole vastness of what's being portrayed in three minutes around a sex scene uh, is very like to the point, like you know, like round up against a wall, we're gonna penetrate, and she's gonna orgasm within a minute, like, uh-huh. and that's it, it. It filters a certain narrative and idea around how sexuality is portrayed, but it's also because you know there's a certain responsibility that they're supposed to have as movie productors and filmmakers that yeah. can't really share too much beyond that unless it's maybe an educational film. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. I never thought of that. <laughs> there's, like, the time frame. Yeah. Because it always, like, yeah, happens so fast. and like, oh, dude, that guy's I've, already? I've timed <laughs> it. I've, I've watched, I put on a Game of Thrones episode, like, uh-huh. um, last week, and I wanted, I wanted to test that theory, so I timed yeah. it, like, uh, on a theme, an opening theme, uh, where there was a sex scene, and it was within three minutes. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, so I, I'm... I, I have to do some more <laughs> tests around that That's to be so sure, like yeah. for 100%. But yeah, I remember hearing that somewhere. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a super sexualized show as well. And like, yeah. you know, how. Uh, I think it might have been also in the books um, quite sexual, but like, there's so much more to it, you know? Yeah, well, it's interesting, like, what narrative gets chosen to continue throughout society because, mm. you know, when an author is trying, I'm, assuming, I'm presuming, I'm totally presuming at this point, but like um, when an author, I presume, is creating a narrative of an era and a time when that was probably very prevalent, rape was very prevalent, um, nudity was probably very exposed in harems and around like sex work, um, that they're just trying to portray the imagery and the lifestyle of what was in context to that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, part of me wonders, like, if that's actually beneficial to continue perpetuating that filter or narrative of that context when it's so clearly known that that was the case to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, maybe it also adds to the dramatization and the excitement of something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the feeling maybe it enhances feeling in people when they 
get stimulated by seeing it or mm-hmm. who knows. Yeah, I totally hear that. I think what I get really bothered when it's like uh, there was that show about the like Dungeons and Dragons and those like evil creatures. It was super popular. Anyway, um, but the kids are like in high school, and they're showing mm-hmm. these like super sexual scenes mm-hmm. of these like high school kids, and I'm like, it actually made me stop watching the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, it's interesting because yeah, valid, totally valid, uh-huh. and. Um, a lot of our sexual activity happens. Like our more conscientious and like chosen sexual interactions are coming from a very pubescent time. Or at least for me, I can speak for myself. I started engaging sexually when I was 13. Uh-huh. Some people wait till they're 18 or 24 or whatever, um, or longer. But yeah, and maybe prematurely at some some degrees, um, without really the proper education around consent and boundaries and. Also, um, having the tools of navigating enough self-esteem and self-worth to really navigate enough confidence and assuredness that by me voicing what I want and what I need, and even knowing what those things are, that that would be welcomed and safe to express. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I don't think that that's normalized a lot. So then there's a lot of silencing that happens and a lot of um, uh, dimming of what feels safe for an individual to actually feel and do and it's all the actions are being done to um, feel love and acceptance from the outside world or from the individuals that they're interacting with and so yeah. it's not being done for your own from your own personal power or personal sovereignty it's coming from um, uh, a state of need and wanting um, to feel like a sense of belonging through intimacy and through connection mm-hmm. yeah totally I feel like so many things, you know, whether it's 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 sexual in nature or it's like just like problems with you know people's out of control egos or a lack of confidence or anything. It all comes back to like just wanting to connect with people or like mm-hmm. being a block in connection. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and. That's um, that's kind of like reminding me of, yeah, just about how connected sexuality is to so many aspects of our life that is not just genital-based. It's like it is so highly connected to our emotional states and mm. to our sense of how we think about ourselves. And um, when we're not given the environment or at least we're not exploring the environments where safety to express our emotions and ways to navigate that in a way that feels um, enhancing towards connection. Mm. Uh, It it feels like it creates a lot of hindrance to actually be able to explore sexuality at its fullest potential um, because we're blocked to even feeling our emotional states uh, throughout our daily lives. And, And even just when I think about certain clients that are afraid to talk to their wives about how they feel um, or don't know, have the communication or the words to, to describe what they're feeling um, to people that they deeply love, then it also um, implements and creates a lot of sh- self-shame and um, uh, even sometimes guilt around not being able to um, be honest and transparent about what's actually happening in the moment for them emotionally and how that then, you know, then they find outlets around how to create that connection within themselves through um, you know, either going towards porn or finding alternative ways of sexual pleasure, um, either you know, honestly or not honestly in their relationships. But it's, the, the point of it is that they're trying to really actually establish connection and, um, to others and, and to themselves in their emotions and be able to access more of that um, capacity within themselves mm-hmm. that's how I really see it at least anyway mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting and it seems like it seems like connect, like being able to connect with people should be like the easy part because like we're all in this together on some level you know but then people feel 
so alienated and for some reason like they're the only they're the only one going through this or that kind of thing you know mm. it's interesting there's that same reflection in in our men's group is that you know I shared this with you earlier that people that are in one-to-one therapy the therapist very often is like you're not the only one going through this that mm. kind of thing but it's not until they actually hear it from other people like in a men's or women's or non-binary group or whatever, that they can actually see that they're not the only ones going through it. So, like, how how amazing would it be if there were these, you know, more public spaces where people talked about the things that are taboo, so they can mm. they could see, yeah. you know, or they could hear that they're not the only ones, and that people have come out the other side. Yeah. Because I mean, it's it's pretty unlikely that once somebody when somebody starts speaking about something that's bothering them and starts taking steps, like, it's pretty unlikely that they don't resolve what it is, you know? Like, you were sharing with me earlier that, you know, just within a few sessions, women are telling you that they feel like a new person mm-hmm. or, like, <laughs> you know, like, they, they could, never could have felt this way or that kind of thing, you know? So it's interesting that it takes a little bit of, like, um vulnerability yeah you know when people are already feeling vulnerable but if you just go a little bit deeper maybe and yeah reach out that you can get to the bottom of it or something yeah and I think uh something that I pick up on with that is um with the women that I'm I work with uh it it really comes down to a level of building that internal trust for their inner compass um Mm. because there's a lot of, um, yeah, well, I don't want to assume, but just the, um, I think with so much that happens without having the proper awareness or information to go about on, there's a lot of guessing. And mm. within that guessing, there can be a lot of circumstances that happen that make us doubt or question ourselves and our choices that we make. And um, that can also be propelled and amplified like um, a sense of uh, not trusting our intuition because we've made choices in for example our sexuality where we haven't established proper boundaries and so we're making choices and so then if those um, circumstances within our sexuality without those proper boundaries ended up not being pleasant experience or ended up not being a very serving experience for either themselves or for both people um, it can make them feel really uncertain about how to really uh, tap into that sense of knowing that they can trust their intuition, knowing that they can trust the signaling that their body is presenting to them when something doesn't feel fully right, or maybe it's not a full fuck yes in the Mm. dynamic, or um, uh, this feeling of like, can I actually experience what I want after so many times of not that not happening? Like there can be a certain level of uh, hopelessness or disheartenment that occurs and disappointment that occurs when we're constantly overriding our own boundaries. And then on top of that, it's like we're experiencing pain from you know sexual interaction or it's like there's we're not able to communicate what we actually want because there's so much fear and shame around voicing our emotions and what's actually going on for us. As you're saying, like it takes a certain level of vulnerability to connect deeper and to trust, like how can we trust another person to accept and love ourselves when we don't do that fully for ourselves? Mm -hmm. So there's a certain level of like, yeah, like moving towards that fear and taking one baby step towards um, our edge and feeling that, meeting our edge in that and like being able to um, uh, build that sense of self-soothing within the nervous system and within our minds around like, you know, you, you can survive that. If it doesn't turn out the way that you you would hope by sharing your vulnerability and your transparency and your truth in that moment, like, even if that happens, like, you're still going to survive that. And you can, like, learn to trust that the more you honor what's actually arising for you and honor where your yeses and nos are or honor your, like, what you actually need in the moment, um, that that actually builds deeper trust with others and... Mm-hmm. It, uh, yeah, it allows people to receive that um, and to, for them to look at that and be like, wow, she's taking care of herself. 
mm. on a subconscious level even like when someone is able to voice what they need and actually um, you know share what's happening with them vulnerably it can it sends a level of deep respect and um, you know love and compassion from someone receiving that being like oh like wow like it's not a yes for her like I definitely don't want to engage with someone who's not a yes so like great like what is a yes in this moment and let's find the ways to to bridge that with each other mm-hmm. yeah amazing yeah it can be a, can be a trip because people know that <clears throat> people know that they need or they want to talk to somebody about it but it's just such an uncomfortable idea you know mm. and it's all too often I see with people that like that things get so bad that like they mm. now they have to talk to somebody about it right. you know or I was I was talking to just a guy on the street yesterday and I was saying you know it's good to go to it's, we were talking about men's group and I was like it's good to go to men's group like before there's an issue you know, it's good to like yeah. start the talk before anything gets big enough to be like a monster or whatever. Yeah. You know, so I mean, this is just another call for like people to be talking about sexuality more openly and, mm-hmm. you know, just normalize it. Yeah. Yeah. I, the amount of times that I've actually see people being able to tap into the things that they want to experience in their sexuality happens so much more easily when there's not as much resistance to sharing what's actually going on or, um, you know, having that normalized space around it. Like, it just makes them feel like, oh, it's actually not that big of a deal to want this thing that I, you know, that could be deemed as taboo from someone else, but that actually is just a normal... Normal. I don't even like. I don't. The word that word is like not usually in my vocabulary, so I don't know why it's showing up now. But um, it's just there's. Yeah, I think like the normalization of the conversation at least can really help to um, for people to create that spaciousness of questioning. Like, what is it that actually like? How do my my current or past beliefs? How have they served me, and do they continue serving me now? Mm. Um, do I want to hold on to this thing? Like, how is it, what's the purpose of it in my life? And is it actually bringing me closer to what I want? And if not, what do I need to do to shift it? And um, hopefully that questioning or that inquiry comes when, before, as you're saying, before it gets to an extreme. I think sometimes it's too, like if we're over ignoring our needs often, um, whether we're in a, a family dynamic or within our work and a career, it's like, if we're not taking care of our needs, then it's it's like it gets to that point when like you know a health crisis comes through, or then that we're having constant arguments with our spouses, or um, you know things just start happening where you might get into like frazzled states of nervous system um, coping mechanisms, where then it's like you over get into um, yeah, unhealthy habits, or you get into car accidents, or whatever happens. You know, it's just I feel like. Um, all of this ties into this level of awareness that can be come back to that center of focus of being like, okay, well, what is it that I need? And how is my nervous system responding to this need? And how can I soothe that part of my nervous system so that it, I can feel safe in my own body? And with that safety, relaxation is present. And when relaxation is present sexual energy can move when there's a lot of stagnation and blocks and tension in the body and our minds around um, our life in general. All the stressors and contacts that play out in our life really um, affect how we feel our sexuality and our sexual energy. So yeah, I feel like the more we can normalize it all, um, it creates so much more like ease around like, oh, I was able to share this thing with my partner around like how angry I was about this thing that happened and um, yeah because they heard me he like witnessed me in my anger and that he was just able to lovingly share compassionate space it allowed me to feel that for my own self as well and now I feel deeper connected in love and intimacy with them and 
with that feeling, like that can also spark like desire and passion and arousal in that moment. Usually I, I notice that for myself when like someone meets me with full compassion and presence, I'm like, oh, like you just, I just like slobbered everywhere with my snot and tears and I just raged out and you just were just like, you know, like I, I still love you. Like how beautiful is that? And then all of a sudden the pussy just starts speaking and she's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you ever get that feeling. I do. Well, I don't have a pussy, but, but, but do you ever feel the tingles, the tingles? Like you got, you, you get tingles, right? I get tingles. Yeah. yeah. Tingles. Like when there's like that, that presence, when someone, when someone is so present, like loving presence is so strong that you can just share vulnerably what's happening for you. And then it's like all the hardness around that experience or the hardness around your heart and the emotional state that you were carrying just like melts like honey like honey in the cells it just melts and then it's like there's this expansion and opening and like warm washing of like yeah just sensual flow and ease and freedom Mm. yeah yeah I love it Mm. that's beautiful (laughs) (laughs) yeah is presence not the most important thing that we give our clients uh, yeah, that's a good question. You know, just like yeah. showing them that mm-hmm. there's no judgment, there's mm-hmm. you know, yeah. there's no shame. Like I just I see you, you know. Mm-hmm. It's so important. Yeah, yeah. Well, the whole our whole society is like not carrying that with that in mind. You know, it's like there's judgment everywhere. Um, so it's like so relieving to be in spaces with practitioners or certified practitioners that are able to just to hear you and see you without that. Like how much more soothing that is for, yeah, anyone who enters into those spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So within the uh, within the coaching and your work with the women, so we could say presence is the first thing that you give them. Mm-hmm what does that look like like how are you how are you able to have these experiences of in few sessions like helping them find breakthrough um well that's so I feel like that's so dependent on each individual because everyone's journey is different mm-hmm. uh, there's a certain flavor of every personality of every experience what their past self has gone through mm-hmm. and what they're ready for like there's going to be a different string weaving through that and our sessions together um yeah part of like one of the main reasons why women come to me for our sessions is that they have uh, a gift that they want to be in service for in the world they want to share who they are and, and be of like create positive impact and change based off of something that they love to do and to be and to feel and um and they also want to do that in a way that feels really good for themselves they want to be able to feel connected to all aspects of their their inner power the feelings that they have um you know just the 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 feminine power that they carry within them is just so vast and beautiful and divine and powerful and I think they want to feel really connected to that and believe in that fully themselves because I think sometimes they they know it's within them mm. but they don't fully believe that it's possible to like to like they it's like they they feel like it's so distant from them somehow mm. that they feel a little disconnected or that they don't fully know how to like uh embrace it uh, and so part of the work that we do together is to um is to kind of like go into the subconscious and help them to create the awareness that what they want is actually not far away from mm. from their reality uh, and that the parts of themselves that are creating that story or that narrative that it is far away like we we kind of go through that and we integrate those pieces lovingly in the subconscious so that they can not be a hindrance or a block to creating steps or actually feeling how they want to be feeling but they actually become part of like their inner counsel mm. a little bit like um, maybe a, there's a, a self-sabotaging uh, pattern that's around uh, you know maybe they are choosing to snack a lot when actually they want to be like writing a book or like 
dancing on stage somewhere in their full activated feminine shakti or whatever. And but instead of choosing to sit down and do those things, they're all, they're constantly getting up and snacking, and that takes out hours of the day to actually sit down and do those things. Mm. And um, part of that pattern might be coming from a belief that they don't actually feel like they are worthy of what they want, or that they feel like they they fear that they might be a failure, um, and that they are coming from an imposter. Uh, they have this imposter syndrome or something. So part of the work is to allow them to feel that peace, um, integrate it with love, and to find out how it's serving them in some way, and then find the opposite and commit, like make a commitment around showing up for that peace and for yourself in a way that is um, creating the opposite uh, effect. Uh, so giving that peace what it needs and then offering it what it um, what you actually want uh, instead to be feeling. And so um, that also gets tied into then uh, them being able to get out of their minds a little bit more deeper on a belief level or a subconscious level so that they can start feeling and embody that. And then that's when we can focus on the pleasure aspect because pleasure really um, uh, it creates a lot of uh, cellular changes in our DNA to actually create change in the body. Uh, so when you activate your pleasure and when you are able to um, tap into getting into your body and into your breath, sound and movement um, and feeling good within yourself at the same time, then you're more likely to be successful in what you want to do because you feel good about yourself. Um, people generally are not likely to create action towards what they want when they don't feel good about themselves. So the pleasure aspect of our work really helps them to recognize that they have access all the time to this energy. It's just sometimes our beliefs about ourselves really hinder that feeling that they're able to tap into that. And uh, yeah, the realization that I often see from them is like, you know, they after a few sessions of working with, um, you know, closing off energy leaks or being able to uh, offer them an embodiment practice or a rage release practice where then they can come into more of a healthy relationship with these aspects of themselves that they deemed shameful or, or harmful and actually love those pieces more and not fear them as much, mm-hmm. then they're like, it's almost like their feminine power gets unleashed and they're like, they just trust themselves so much more. And with that trust, they embody this level of internal reference point that like they can trust putting boundaries up they can trust how to say no and actually feel good about it they Mm -hmm. can trust um you know that they can try something out and if they make a mistake that it doesn't make them a failure that it actually will add to their success and that with practice and over and over in time practice 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 that it gets them closer to what they actually want in life whether that's putting their gifts out whether that's attracting a loving partnership or from experiencing like uh, different forms of pleasure in their body. Like, there's just so much possibility that can unearth from that. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, it just sounds like empowerment is yeah. the key. You know, real, yeah, realizing that it's not so far away, that it's not out of grasp ever. Yeah. But it's just like reaching out and you having the power to, to grab it, right? Yeah, and, and yeah, not focusing so much on what other people think or how, you know, um, actually coming to recognize that you can actually be the creator of what, how, like, like you're living your life for you, not based off of how someone else thinks you should be living. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of influence that happens around in our environments that impact the way that we influence ourselves to either, you know, create the like move towards the desires that we actually want to be living whether that's in our sexuality or within our leadership or within work or relationships whatever um and recognize that we're we're the common um instigator of being able to create that for ourselves Uh, so yeah if you have a desire like embrace that desire and let's find a way to um come into it where it's coming it's coming from that place of you recognizing that it's part of your wholeness not necessarily that it's 
uh, separate from you in any way. Like you deserve that. You are that's part of you. Um, yeah. Mm, that's so beautiful. Mm. Um, I would love to talk about um, basically sexual trauma, and from from the women's side, because to me, what I see is that you know, for a woman a woman to receive a partner, you know, it's such a vulnerable act, you know, you're letting somebody into yourself. And so when that vulnerable act gets like taken taken advantage of, like it's no wonder that, you know, that can be really hard for people to come back from. You know? Mm. So what does that what does that path back to back to embodiment? What can it what can it look like? Mm. When you just for clarification, when mm-hmm. you say taking advantage of, could you describe a little bit more about what that looks like? Yeah, I mean that could look like rape. That could look like, like yeah, I don't, I don't know, else, any type of sexual assault, I guess. Because mm. it's just, it's like, it's like one of the most vulnerable parts of being a human is our sexuality, you know? Mm-hmm. And then when that gets assaulted, you know, or something against our boundaries happens, you know? Mm-hmm. And more than, I guess I'm talking more from the stance of like more than just being unable to say no in the moment, you mm-hmm. know? Like in the case of like saying no and being ignored, that kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. From well, from my general understanding is that when there's a certain level of nervous system override, the response will either be to fight, flight, or freeze. Mm. Uh, the fight response in our nervous system is when we actually are able to voice that no. Uh, the flight response would be sometimes would be to um, uh, kind of. Uh, frantically find ways out of it um, or want to uh, move away somehow whether that's physiologically or uh, internally uh, for to create safety mm. or um, the freeze response which would be the place within the nervous system response where that no even though they feel it and there's a voice that's yelling inside of them just say no no stop it and they're not able to actually communicate it because mm. there's there's a there's a block there, and the nervous system is just in such a state of um, uh, response that just it, it's not able to be communicated. So, yeah, I think there's it depends on the circumstance of what is mm-hmm. happening because you know whether if it's assault or whether or not it's um, you know maybe just like. Uh, an ex-boyfriend coming by and then, you know, not actually wanting to have sex, but then he goes in it anyway and not able to say no in that circumstance where it's not necessarily abuse, fully abuse, um, in that more, like, rape context. Well, it's kind of rape, but um, I think there's so many drastic mm-hmm. circumstances that there's my brain is kind of going in all different directions around, like, how to answer that question. Mm-hmm. And so I think a part of me, like, what comes back to how can someone kind of move from that place of experiencing trauma, um, no matter what form it comes in, and first recognizing uh, what trauma is and how to really identify that, like the sen- like what that actually, how that shows up in the nervous system is first. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people can experience trauma and walk around through life not knowing that they're carrying trauma, and then are surprised to experience all these things happening in their life and they don't know why it's happening and it's because mostly it's probably a response that they got from experiencing trauma Um, and so part of like healing trauma is to really be trauma aware and to start learning and understanding how trauma works in the body that would be one thing that I would really recommend for people Mm. and a part of that learning and awareness is around um, yeah recognizing the trauma and understanding that trauma can live in the tissues and the cells um, of the body. So when we experience a trauma response, like 
rape or assault, sexual assault, um, the body will tense and hold itself a certain way. And when there's tension, it will hold on to that tension in parts of the body. So it might hold on to it in, um, in the pelvic bowl. It might hold on to it in our shoulders or in our belly or in the way that we, you know, somewhere in, our, in tension, will, t- tension will arise. And um, I'm trying to remember where I was going with that thought. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding trauma and how it works in the body. And then understanding that in order to move that tension through the body is to actually embody uh, shifting that through the body. So we can't just think. Most of the time, like there's a certain level of talk therapy or talking that can help us to understand and conceptualize something, but it doesn't help us to fully change or shift that in ourselves. Mm. So going through the somatic work of embodying that shift through sound, breathing, and movement can really help to move that stagnation and stuck tension in the body so that you can release the trauma in your cells and that it will open up spaciousness to feel um, a sense of safety or grounding or resources internally so that you can start feeling love and the capacity of pleasure or um, feelings of goodness in the body again. Mm. Um, Because I think there can be a huge disconnect when we're trying to heal something and then we feel numb or disconnected from feeling what we want and then there's we overlayer that with feelings of frustration and all these sense of self-judgment on ourselves around wanting that healing and then it not happening and it just creates a pattern of disconnect and disconnect so part of that is to breathe through it get the cortical part of the mind to stop thinking so much and get into the body so that the body can start navigating its own uh, healing and wisdom because the body is so wise um, that it can pretty much be self-healing it's just we have to kind of allow the body space to give it room to speak and communicate to us and by doing the sound breath and movement it bridges that pathway between the body mind to build that communication mm-hmm. um, so yeah, when we build that communication, it then ripples out and creates this domino effect of like being able to understand what grounding or the sensation of grounding feels like in the body, what the sensation of safety feels like in the body. Because when someone experiences trauma, sometimes they don't actually know what safety feels like. Um, and it allows so much more of that communication of understanding the sensations and sensate focus where then you can then work on uh, building... Uh, multi-orgasmic pleasure from having that awareness afterwards Mm -hmm. yeah wow beautiful it sounds like with with any sort of trauma it's about you know gaining an understanding of what trauma is you know because for people it's or it is so much more than just like a memory of an event right so starting with the understanding of, you know, how your body is maybe holding that and then getting into actual practices and exercises where you're using your body, you know, your voice, your movement to then move that energy yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, oh my gosh, my teachers would just like hit me on the face, but <laughs> there's like a, there's the, uh, can't remember if it's Bessel von Kolk or if it's, uh, Peter Levine. I think it's Peter Levine. <laughs> <laughs> Fact check. Uh, yeah, fact check. <laughs> but no, they, they mentioned that trauma lives in the... Um, trauma is not the issue. Trauma lives in the tissue. Mm. So there's a certain level of healing that happens when, yes, the healing of trauma is recognizing the story around how it was created mm. and um, acknowledging it. That acknowledgement is so important along the healing, and that's probably one of the first steps to that. Then there comes a point when... It goes beyond just the story, and it's not about the story. That's beside the point. Mm. Um, after that acknowledgement has happened and a certain time of um, sitting with that and acknowledging that has been present, then it's time to move it out of the actual body holding um, and to work on it through with the tissues because we, tissues hold cellular memory through many multi-generations. So no matter if it's um, you know, intergenerational trauma or you know, micro or major traumas that are happening right now, that lives in our tissues. And to move through that so that we can experience more freedom, not only in our body but in our subconscious, 
uh, we have to be able to get past the idea that it's all about the story and that really move into just embodying the change that we want to be. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And we were even talking about like, stories earlier, and they're just stories, you know? Yeah. It takes just the awareness and the... Yeah, this, this, taking the steps to like start to change those things, you know? I'm curious what... Um, what are you really excited about? Like, is there, is there aspects of this, um, of these modalities that, you know, you're getting into or like reaching towards? Um, like, is there anything? It's never on your, ending. <laughs> yeah. So, what's the exciting things on your, on your horizon that you're looking to get into? Oh, that's kind of vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, What's on the horizon? I, mm, um, it's interesting. I, f- I feel an inspiration to move towards the deeper layers of energy work. Mm. Um, so much of the energetics get woven into my coaching containers where it's like, I mean, it's energy is present all the time, uh, but it's just there's this aspect of the energetics within our belief system, like that carry through in our belief systems and that imprint the way of moving through self-sabotage or through limiting beliefs that Mm -hmm. I really am interested to dive more into Mm -hmm. and how that also can be facilitated through um, journeying into um, like deeper layers of the soul that and soul fragmentation that I want to really hone in on more skills to create deeper spaces for that sort of integration and I don't know fully when or how that's going to look but that's mm-hmm. an interest of mine um, there's also a level around trauma work that I would be interested in learning more about just for my own ethical reasons um, I'm trauma informed but I'm not a trauma expert so there's aspects around that that I feel interested to know more about just so I have a deeper awareness around you know, just the extra tool belts to navigate circumstances or languaging that can be really helpful for someone when they do come into that space. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, there's so much. I uh, there's there's a lot. There's a lot. I don't know if I I pretty much I I'm a multi passionate person that wants to try to weave it all in, and I know that sometimes that's not the most best for marketing <laughs> purposes. <laughs> but I just I think like a part of my own. Um, passion like I do passions for my own personal development so I'm not necessarily doing it for to like necessarily for my clients but I know that they'll benefit from me growing and working on myself Mm -hmm. um, and embodying and following and listening to that inner voice that's passionate about something and yeah so whatever that is whether it's through you know movement and dance or through energy healing work trauma um, awareness or around uh, I don't know like yeah repatterning beliefs it's all it's all passions of mine for mm-hmm. sure yeah that's so good mm-hmm. that's what's going to keep you so successful is that you know you're so you're so curious and you're so willing to like to be diving into these things for yourself first because I mean for me that's where I've <clears throat> that's where I find I find the value in things is like with breathwork say you know I would have never become a breathwork facilitator if I didn't have super profound experiences for Mm -hmm. myself first right yeah or you know same thing with yoga you don't just become a teacher before you've been practicing yeah and it's not even to say that some of the things that we are passionate about will be necessarily something that we are doing for work or for career or for teaching but it's us taking care of ourselves by listening to that inner guidance and being like, this is what I need for my own healing. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do that for myself. And that will get carried through in the transmission of our aura or through our presence without having to teach it to someone. Sometimes just that presence of that healing and that modality is felt without having to make like put a charge on it or to monetize on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I find that there's a lot of value in, in 
doing the things that you're passionate about, whether or not you, you know, it's like the best career investment or whatever, it's like it doesn't really matter. If you're doing the things that you love, that's mm-hmm. going to magnetize the people in your life that are going to really benefit from you anyway, and mm-hmm. you're going to learn and gain from as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What is, what is your real push for, like, self-development? Like, what have you, what have you found that you've gotten out of it? For myself, personally? Yeah. Oh, that's like a really soul-diving question. Um, uh, I think just like a level... Well, okay, well, <laughs> not to sound like ultimately like super depressing, but I, <laughs> I think there's a certain level of um, comfortability with my suffering that I feel like personal development has really helped me to establish deeper, like... Mm. Human nature for me, um, and my the way I experience my own human nature, there comes a certain level of darkness and um, uh, like an inner void, which I identify as a lot of what's the energies I feel in my womb space or womb power. Um, but it's there's a certain level of uh, s- suffering that is creating awareness around how to be um, how to feel comfortable in my humanness and personal development work has helped me to create a loving healthy relationship with that part of myself whereas before I would have judged it and felt like something was wrong with me Um, Mm. and I feel like it's helped me to understand uh, I think just to understand my soul a bit deeper um, and I don't know how to really like describe that without going mm-hmm. on to like some sort of tangent or like you know gloomy philosophical discussion. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I feel like yeah, it's just created a lot of healing for me in places where sometimes I didn't know how to ask for that, and it's also helped me establish that relationship to. Um, you know, creator or God or an essence of um, belonging to this earth and to humanity that feels more connected. So I don't know how else to describe it. We'll just kind of... That was really good. That's complete. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Know thyself. Yeah. Get clear. Yeah. Get to know God, the universe, creator. Mm. Well, and myself through that, through my relationship with all that. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I don't know if that's really like fueling this my my why I do things that I do. Right. I just like yeah, I I don't actually even know the the full answer to that. I feel like sometimes I just like blurt out something like in the moment for marketing purposes, but my actual like feeling of knowing why that's like oh, I, like there's no other option for me. It just feels like if there if I wasn't working on myself or um tending to myself I'd probably just not choose to live I don't know (laughs) Uh, I totally get it yeah that's beautiful is there any closing closing messages or or insights or things you want to send to the people big pressure Mm, um, (laughs) take everything I say with a grain of salt (laughs) no way you're your own masters I don't know like I I don't yeah I feel like everyone has the capacity to heal themselves and um yeah uh trust that trust that within trust that inner internal referencing yeah I don't know what else to say that's perfect (laughs) (laughs) where can people find you um well I I'm offering a one-on-one VIP mentorship for women who are wanting to dive into all the things that we discussed today in our conversation. You can find me at www.zaharadevi.com or you can find me on my social media platforms, uh, Zahara X Devi on Instagram or Zahara Devi on Facebook. Beautiful. And we will post links. Yeah. Links will be posted. 
<laughs> right there. Yeah. Right there. Right there. I don't know. We're not that pro. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm thank glad you. to finally meet you. And yeah, what a pleasure. Yeah. yeah, thank you for sharing such a beautiful presence and conversation. And yeah, I look forward to staying connected with your community and whoever is interested in reaching out. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, totally. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh-huh. You heard it here, folks. There's lots to do, and there's people that want to help, so reach out, take the first step. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot for coming by today, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs> Nailed it!